Welcome to Beacon Baptist Church of Lexington, South Carolina. We trust today's podcast will be a blessing to you. come to this passage of Scripture tonight, we come and we consider what is being said here in Luke chapter number 10. Uh, as I've mentioned, we've been titling this series of messages, The Story of the Sent, and we get that from a similar phrase in verse 1, 2, and 3, where the Lord Jesus, in the calling of these 70 disciples, He has in chapter 9 called and sent His 12 apostles out into the regions of Galilee. Uh, to minister for His honor and His glory, and to, uh, to share the gospel of the kingdom. Here, one chapter later, in Luke chapter number 10, he calls these individuals that we have coined in history simply as the 70 disciples to take what these the apostles of the Lord are doing in Galilee and to spread them into the cities of the regions of Judea. And we realize that that is where he is calling them to because in verse number 1 when he talks about every city and place, whither he himself would come. We realize that it's not talking about uh, Europe. We realize that it's not talking about the uh, further extents of the Gentile world because Jesus in the days of his earthly ministry never traveled into those lands. So these are places to where Jesus himself would come and he sent these 70 disciples as forerunners for his honor and his glory to prepare uh, those people for him when he was to arrive in their city. And so we've seen the Bible says in verse 1 that uh, the Lord has sent them, sent these 70, two and two before his face into every city and place, whether he himself would come. In verse number 2, the Lord talks about the need uh, and the prayer request that he gives uh, that the Lord would send forth laborers into his harvest. And then in verse number 3, we see that Jesus said for them to go their ways because he says, Behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. And so verse 1, Jesus is sending them. In verse 3, He is sending them. And in verse number 2, the Lord wants to send more. So in these, uh, these verses that we've been looking at in these days, uh, we see what the Lord has in store and what His plan is and what His mindset is for those that He has sent to do a work for Him. And while we understand here that he's dealing with these that uh, these uh, disciples and followers of his that uh, were living within the days of his earthly ministry no doubt we see application to ourselves today as every Christian that has been saved by the grace of God has been given a commission and has been sent into the world to be a witness for him amen Jesus is coming to folks Jesus is uh, is coming to them in the form of a gospel witness from somewhere 
somewhere, from some church, from some soul winner, from some Bible verse, from some gospel track. And God has called us to prepare the hearts of people for when the Spirit of God speaks to them uh, on an individual basis. Amen. So in the story of the sin, we've spent the last several services talking about what the verse number one and uh, some following verses talk about when we consider the plan of the sin. Jesus here gives his plan for those that he is sending out. He tells them who the master of the plan is. It says it's the Lord. He tells him what the means, tells them what the means of the plan is. In verse 1 he talks about the other 70 and he talks about how he sent them out two and two and the means by God by which God fulfills his plan is that he uses humanity, uses members of mankind to fulfill his plan. And so we've been, we were talking about the means of the plan and we saw how it is a pictorial means. There's some, uh, sim, there is some symbolism uh, in the, the number 70 that Jesus uses. I won't get on that tonight again. Uh, but then it is a practical means. Two and two means that when he sends out human beings to do a work for him, he never sends them out alone. He sends them with a partner, uh, someone that they can uh, link up with and be encouraged by and strengthened by. And no doubt we see a picture of the ministry of the believers. Amen. Iron sharpening iron in their lives and then the ministry as well of being a part of a local New Testament church. And then the last time we were in this passage we saw that the means of this plan that Jesus gives is a purposeful means. He gives uh, this plan and he uses mankind for a reason and the, the reason is is that human beings unlike angels or any kind of uh, any kind of celestial entity a mankind can identify with. Human beings can be touched by other human beings. We can readily identify ourselves a man with other human beings and we we know that other people like us feel what we feel and experiences the experience the challenges of life just like we do. So here in Luke chapter number 10 and in verse number 8 and 9 we saw the purpose. Verse 9 talks about how they were when they went into the cities. They were uh, to heal the sick that are therein and say unto them the kingdom of God is come down to you. So there was a purpose of healing and there was a purpose of heralding. We talked about how the healing in the New Testament always was used by the Savior to point people to the message, to uh, assemble them together to where they can hear the message of the Savior. That's how Jesus used miracles in his day. It drew crowds to him and it still does today. Amen. People need healing in the day and the hour which we live in and it will prepare them to receive the message. They need someone to come to them and to, amen, touch them and to encourage them with a word or with a Christ-like spirit to where they'd be more ready uh, to receive the message. And the message was simply this, that the kingdom of God has come down to you. And I dealt with some things that that meant dispensationally, uh, but primarily I want you to understand that the message that they were to share is that the God of heaven had taken a special interest in, in them. Everyone they came to, they would tell them, Jesus is coming. He's coming behind me. He has taken an interest in you and he's coming into your city and he's wanting to speak to you. And so the kingdom of God is come down to you. And so that was where we ended up the last time we were in this passage. Still considering the last aspect of uh, the plan 
of the sin. Let's talk about tonight, not just about, amen, not just talk about the, uh, not just talk about the, uh, the master of the plan and the means of the plan, but tonight I want us to say something about the measure of the plan. And I'm going to spend just a brief moment on this, and then we'll move on to the next thought. But here in verse number one, notice what the Bible says, after these things of the Lord, that's the master of the plan, appointed other seventy also, and sent them two and two before his face, that is the means of the plan, but then here is the measure of the plan, into every city and place whither he himself would come. Notice here he talks about every city and place. I've already talked to you about the aspect here that they are not just being sent to the city of Jerusalem. They are not just being sent to the region of Galilee and those, amen, uh, those Galilean areas as the twelve apostles were. Amen. They're being sent out into a larger group which I've already identified as the cities of Judah just just because of what we know from the scripture about the furthest reaches of the Lord's earthly ministry. But here he tells them every city in which the Lord was going to come and enter into their city. They were sent there because it was Christ's will uh, to abide in their cities. He wanted that he wanted to send them as a forerunner to do a preparatory ministry so when Jesus gets there he can abide among them and minister to them. Verse number one says he sent them into every city and place whither he himself would come. He is sending out the word of Christ's desire to abide with them and to find himself a place to reside among them. He wants, I'll say this tonight, I believe that while we are looking here into a, into a commission and into words that talks about Jesus' physical presence with them in those cities here, amen, his desire to come into those cities, I'm, I'm reminded of what the Bible says in the book of Revelation chapter number 3 and verse number 20. Amen. I would say if Jesus wanted to abide in these cities in these days and have a ministry among these individuals that live there, I would submit to you this evening that Jesus still wants to abide. Amen. Among his creation. He still wants to have a ministry among those that he has created and those that live in the cities of this world. Amen. Here's the thing. Jesus is not again going to leave the portals of glory. He is not again. Amen. Until he comes back to get us. Amen. In the rapture. He is not going to come. He's not sending us out. Amen. Into cities so that he can leave his throne at the right hand of the Father in heaven and then come and speak and teach and preach as he did physically in the days of his earthly ministry. But what he is doing is he's sending 
receive Christian servants just like you and I into the midst of a lost and dying world still with a message, amen, that the Lord is coming, amen, but before he does, I have a message for you that Jesus is interested in you and he wants to abide with you. He's not doing it in homes today. He's not doing it in uh, cities today. He's not doing it in uh, hamlets, amen, of uh, towns, amen, but he wants to have his presence abide in the hearts of men and women. Jesus still has a desire to abide with his with humanity. He still has a desire to abide with his creation. Amen. I realize the context of these verses, but I cannot help but see the application in the heart of Christ in salvation here in Revelation 3:20 when Jesus said, "Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and sup with him and he with me. Amen. I realize that the context there is talking about a church, but I cannot help but think about what Paul said. Amen. In connection with this verse, when Paul said that he, when a, when a sinner gets saved, that Christ would be Christ in us, the hope of glory. I cannot help but see in this passage, not only is Jesus standing on the outside of a church door wanting to be led in by the members of that congregation, but I believe every time the gospel is presented that there is uh, the Son of God, amen, that is wanting to be led in, wanting to gain access to the hearts of lost men and women, boys and girls, and Jesus promises his abiding presence to those that will let him in. He wants to reside in the heart of men. He wants to be Christ in you and in me, the hope, the expectation of glory, a home in heaven. Amen. Can I ask you this this evening before we move on? Has it ever occurred to you that he may just be sending you where he is sending you so that he can make a permanent residence in someone or in some place where he sends you to go. I think about Christ wanting uh, to have a permanent residence in, uh, in the heart of men and women by way of redemption. I think about he wants to have a place of permanence in someone's heart by way of rededication. Amen. To where they give more of themselves uh, to the Lord's leading into their life. I think about Jesus wanting to have a permanent abiding place in a city or in a church or in a country or in a Christian by means of revival, amen, where God stirs his people, amen, and those people in those cities and those congregations, amen, make more room for Jesus than they ever have, amen. So we see this plan of the sin. We've talked about the master of the plan. We've talked about the means of the plan, and now we've talked about the measure of the plan. And no doubt, I believe these verses, amen, while in their context text, they are confined to the regions in which Jesus spent his earthly ministry. I believe here we find a pre-Calvary allusion to that which the Lord would open up by way of the Great Commission. Amen. When he says every city, amen, he's talking, amen, about those areas that Jesus would go to in his ministry, but no doubt he is alluding to the day where he would tell his followers, amen, in just 14 short chapters later, amen, 
amen, that they would go into all the world and uh, preach the gospel, amen. And so we see the measure of the plan. There is no exclusion. There's no person that Jesus does not have a, a desire uh, to abide with them and have, take up a permanent residence among them, amen. So that he tells us about uh, the story of the sent by way of the plan that Christ has for their life, the plan of the sent. Now go with me back to Luke chapter number 10. I want to say some things this evening about the perspective of the sent. The perspective of the sent. I spent the last several messages telling you about Christ unfolding his plan. But now we're going to see the Lord, uh, the Lord unveil the perspective that he wants all of those that he is sending to have in their work for him. Do you realize that it is not just important that you go when Jesus says go, but that you go in the right way and that you have the right perspective in your service. There's a whole lot of people that are actively engaged in the service of the Lord, but their attitude and their perspective is not the way God wants it to be. Amen. Christ here does not send these disciples out, does not send these 70 out without giving them a proper perspective of what what to expect in their service for the Lord. In these verses we find what Jesus had to say about the perspective that everyone who he sends out to do a work for him, the perspective that they are to have, the truth that the truths that he gives in verses 2 and 3 ought to be the perspective of all of those who are sent every single day of their life, amen, to minister for the Lord. Here in these verses he begins to unfold the perspective that we are to have. Notice in verse number two, he tells us about uh, the first part of our perspective. He says that he wants us to be mindful of the certainty that stands. Notice verse number two. There is a standing or settled certainty here. Therefore, because he has sent them out, because he has given them a plan for their service. This is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to serve. Therefore, because of that, he said unto them, the harvest truly is great. He said, he said, uh, he said to his followers, do not forget that the harvest truly is great. He could have said that the harvest is great, but he uh, gave uh, emphatic nature to the greatness of the harvest when he said the harvest truly is great. Amen. And that means that the harvest is many. The harvest is much. The harvest is large. The harvest is great in magnitude and great in quantity. The harvest that there is, amen, in Christian work and in the Lord's work is so great that the only thing that even the Lord could do to even get, uh, give us a concept, amen, with mortal words as to how great it is, is to simply say that it is great. It's amazing how limited our vocabulary can be. 
You think about how immense the harvest out there is. Amen. How many lost souls need to be saved and how this world is headed for hell and how wicked the world we're living in. You'd have to admit the harvest truly is great. Notice what he goes on to say. He says the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Now you would think that if the harvest is great, then the laborers should be great. But that's not the way that it is. I think the fact that Jesus here is saying that the laborers are few, I think that adds to the greatness of the harvest. Why is the harvest so great? Why is it that great? It's because there's very few people out laboring to see the souls won. That would, and I, and I, 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 I failed to put this in the right terminology, but that would address the need of the harvest like we should. There are fewer and fewer laborers today than there have ever been. But the harvest does not change. When the Bible says that hell is enlarging herself every day, that should be enough reason for you and I to understand the immensity of the harvest that is before us. There is a great number of folks that still need the gospel and still need to be born again. And if they were to leave this world without giving their heart to Jesus, they, will, they too will add to the enlarging of hell. That should stir us to want to be the laborers that Christ is calling for here. But giving them the reality, giving his disciples the reality that I'm sending you as laborers, but you are in a group of people to where you're not in the majority. The laborers are few. I'm sending you out as laborers, but the laborers are few. That is the certainty that stands here in this passage. Can I submit to your heart this evening that the problem is not in the field. The problem's in the fold. You say, preacher, what do you mean by that? There's nothing wrong with those out there. That's not where the problem lies. Sinners are sinners. And if given the opportunity, yes, some will reject the gospel. Brother Lewis gave a testimony, folks, that he gave the gospel too, that said, I'm not interested in that. Every time I knock on a door, every time I pass out a track, if you pass out more than one, chances are you'll probably have someone take it, and you'll probably have someone that won't. That's just the certainty that stands this evening. The problem is not out in the field. They're acting the way sinners act. And I think we would do better as the people of God to realize that if it wasn't for the grace of God, that's exactly what we would be doing this evening. If it wasn't for a day where uh, the gospel came to you and you gave your heart to Jesus, I promise you on a Wednesday night, you probably wouldn't be here. You'd be doing something else. We get to the place where we are so comfortable and we've been saved for so long and we get comfortable with the things of God to where we'll say, and we'll, we'll look out in the lost world and say, I can't believe they do that, where it hasn't been too many years ago that we were in the same boat they were. And even if you weren't engaged in the activity, the activity was in your heart. And if given the opportunity, you probably would have done the same thing. Amen. You know, there's some of us, myself included, amen, that probably would have been a lot worse, if I can put it this way, worse off sinners than we were, a lot more vile and wicked in our actions, if not because we didn't want to, 
But if we would have just been given the opportunity to do those things. Some of us were saved even, were, were, were saved from worse sins in a, in a physical sense, not in a spiritual sense of being saved. We were kept, let me put it that way, from engaging in sins worse than we did when we were lost just simply because we didn't have the opportunities that other, else, other folks did, other folks had to indulge ourselves in the sin that was in our heart. We ought to thank God for those things as well. Amen. Thank you, God, for not giving me the opportunity to sin in areas uh, to, to where I don't have those scars tonight, not because I didn't want to, but because I didn't have the opportunity to. The problem's not in the field. Sinners are acting the way sinners act and have given the gospel. They will respond the way, amen, the way that sinners can respond if they choose to. They can still receive the gospel. The problem is not in the field. The problem's in the fold. The problem is not in the Word. It's not in the Word of the Gospel. There's no problems in the Gospel that we give. You say, preacher, well, there must be something wrong with the Gospel message. The reason why folks aren't getting saved. There's nothing wrong with Jesus died, buried, and rose again for our sins. Amen. According to the Scriptures. There's nothing wrong with that Word. You know what the problem is? The problem's in the workers. Jesus does not have any condemnations toward the field. He said the harvest truly is great. But here's the problem. The laborers are few. God here is telling us that there is a great need for more laborers who will labor and be less lazy in our Christian service. Many, he says here, uh, many, he says here, uh, is, the, is the harvest, but the laborers are few. There are many that just simply do not want to be laborers. I think we see that in our churches. If I can make it more personal, I think we see that in our church. There have been plenty that have come into our church through the years that they're okay with just attending church, sitting down and doing nothing for God's glory by way of the ministry of this church. Have no burden for it. Have no burden for visitation. Have no burden for passing out tracts. Have no burden to attend worship services and let God deal in hearts. Have, have, no, have no burden to serve in different ministries. Have no burden for any of it. No burden to teach. No burden to do whatever the ministry may be. Just simply unconcerned, unbothered, unburdened. Here Jesus says that one of the greatest realities of his day, no doubt, is still the reality in our day. The harvest is great, but the laborers are few. And I'll tell you this, if you think you can be a Christian and not labor, you'll never be, you may be saved by the grace of God, but you'll never be involved in God's work because God's work takes labor. It is not only a physical labor at times, but it is a spiritual labor. It is a prayerful labor. Amen. There's people who may not physically be in body able to physically labor in the things of God, but they have found them a prayer closet, and they'll do the spiritual work that's involved in doing the work of God. And can I say that is just as important, if not more important, than the physical leg work of the ministry? 
Amen. And I'm not saying this because I am the pastor, but the ministry is not a term relegated and designated for preachers, pastors, missionaries, or evangelists. If you are a Christian, God has called you to be a minister for His glory. Here we find disciples that have been sealed. And these 70s, these were not, these 70, these were not uh, great men of great esteem. These were followers of Christ that Jesus sent before him with a message. And it's a simple message. And essentially when he says, heal the sick and proclaim, tell them the kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. And essentially what he's saying is you do what you can. Well, I've given you the ability to do. That's where the healing was. They'd got the power to do it in the previous chapter. You do what I've given you the ability to do. You do what you can do. And then you tell them that I'm interested in them. Is that not what he has called every single one of us to do? You do what you can do for his glory. You use your gifts. You use your talents. You use what God has given you that to do and what he has placed in your hands that you can do in your life. And then you tell people that Jesus is interested in them. That he loves them. Can I tell you here, the Bible says, amen, after he told them that the harvest is great and the laborers are few, amen, and after he said, pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, by the way, that's one of the only times you'll find a prayer request from the Lord in the Bible. To my understanding, this is the only prayer request of Christ in the New Testament. There's one in the Old Testament where God gives a prayer request. What was it? I believe, was it not Psalm 122 when he said, pray for the peace of Jerusalem? The Old Testament prayer request of God, New Testament prayer request of God. He said, pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. I wonder if the reason why God has not called more people, more young men into the ministry, more young ladies into Christian work, more missionaries in the day that we're living in is because his children have not taken his prayer request to them seriously. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. When was the last time we prayed? Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest. Church, I'm going to, I encourage you, do this for me tonight. If we take up prayer requests on Wednesday nights, and I forget to remind you of Jesus' prayer request, why don't you take the initiative and remind me that Jesus has a prayer request that we need to make mention of to pray for laborers. I'm not going to keep you much longer tonight. I do, the Lord has taken this in a way that I didn't see fit this evening. That I did, not that I didn't see fit, but I didn't anticipate but notice what he says here. After he gives this prayer request, he says in verse number three, go your ways. Behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. It's not God's will for him to just call us to serve and commission us to serve and to labor and to work. But he wants us to pray that God would send other laborers alongside of us. And while we're praying for other people to labor, that does not, that does not uh, cause us to uh, be without the commission ourselves. You know, there's a lot of people that will say this, Lord, I'd love for you to send some young couple into our church to help the preacher and do a work for God, but I'm not going to do it. 
I'd love for you to send in more families to our church. And in the back of your minds, you're thinking, God, love to see God send 10 families to Beacon so I can let go of what I'm doing and let somebody else take it. Now, I'm not fussing anybody that's been doing the things that they've been doing for 30 years. I preached to y'all a couple of weeks ago that we ought to have people within our own number to help and take up those duties and those jobs. But if the reason, again, remember I said this is a perspective that Jesus is telling us we ought to have in our ministry. If the reason why we're praying God send people into our church is so we can lay our service down and you can enter into the role of someone that just sits and does nothing in service for the Lord, Jesus said you ought not to pray that. He says, I've called you, you pray that other laborers will come alongside you, and then you go and do what I've told you to do, not pray for people to come in to take your place. While you're praying, you go and do what God's told you to do. Here, the Bible is telling us that when, when he says here, for them to go your way, amen. And he said, behold, I send you forth. Do you see an individual call there? Yes, he's talking to those, those 70 as a group, and no doubt the call to go is a call for the group, but it is also a call for the individual. Let me ask you this tonight. How much going have we been doing? I'm pre again, I'm preaching to myself as much if not more than I am to you. It's very easy to become comfortable being a Christian. If you've ever done a work for God, it is very comfortable to get settled into what you've already been doing and you've been used to be doing, and you're never, you're never going forward. Go, when he says, go your ways, that is a forward action. Amen. That is not a, that's not, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to stay. But it is a forward action. As a Christian, we ought to never be settled. We ought to never be satisfied with being settled and being stationary. We ought to always want to go forward. We should always want to keep on going. See the wording of our text, go your ways. The ways that God has ordained for us. I've sent you forth as lambs among wolves. Amen. There is a great need for more laborers who will labor, who will work, and be less lazy. If God is saying go and you are saying no outside of disobedience, there's another word for that. And it's the word lazy. You know what the exact opposite of a laborer is? A lazy person. You know, when you don't want to work, guess what we call that? Lazy. When we want to complain about our government providing all of these funds for people who uh, will quit their jobs so they can stay home, you know what I would call them? Lazy people. Amen. That's just plain preaching. But I, I still believe the Bible says if a man will not work, he shouldn't eat. You miss a few meals, and I promise you will automatically feel led of the Lord to start doing something to make the money come in. And that's the problem with the day we're living in. That, that encouragement from the Scriptures is not, uh, being, not being led in the highest offices in our land. You miss a few meals, you'll want to labor to, so you won't have to deal with, an ups, with, a, with a starving stomach anymore. And you won't have to hear crying babies and a crying wife that they're hungry too. Amen. If you wouldn't do it for yourself, I promise your bride, amen, ain't going to sit too quiet while she's missing a whole lot of meals because you want to sit at home. Now, I'm off of my political soapbox, but I believe everybody here agrees with me on that because it's scriptural. Amen. However, the way when we look at people in the world, 
And we say, oh, what a lazy dog they are for wanting to sit at home and wanting to uh, lay down their job and quit their job and let the government feed them and put the spoon, the, the spoon to their mouth and not do anything for the fruit of their labor, but just get fed anyway. We'll complain about it physically, and we have all kinds of opinions if someone does it in the workforce out in the secular world. But when it comes to our spiritual life, that's exactly what we ought to expect in our life and what we expect in our churches. And we say, I don't want, I wonder why the church isn't growing. I meant to say this later, but there's a quote that I read recently. One man said, a hen is the only thing that can lay around and still produce. Church, we can't expect to just lay around on God to get be half-hearted about our Christian life, to be half-hearted about our Bible reading, to be half-hearted about our prayer time. Never want to be disturbed by getting out of our comfort zone and doing more for God. We want to just visit on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. We just want to blow in and blow out and not have to worry about doing the work of God. And, you know, I, I, you, people, you may look at me tonight and say, well, preacher, probably he's mentioned we got fall festival coming up and sign up sheet and all that. Must be why he's saying it. No, that's one of the reasons why I like preaching series. Y'all can't accuse me of having this prepared for that reason. I've been, y'all know I've been preaching this for weeks now. We're just getting to where we are. But I will say this, I'm not preaching this just because we've got stuff going on and we've got things that God's put in my heart I'd like to do. Now I will say this, I'm not going to not preach that because we've got stuff going on, I've got stuff we'd like to see done. I'm not going to hold back on preaching things like this just because there is stuff, amen, you may think that I'm trying to get you on board with it. It ought not be me trying to get you on board with it, the Word of God. Has God knew when He put this series in my heart what we'd have going on? And I've had things unfold even today that God has put in us put in front of me to lead the church in for next year for God's glory. But I'll say this, we need labors. We do. And if, the, if our church, if our church fails, I'll say this, we will not be able to look at Christ and blame Him. All we'll ever be able to do is look around at ourselves and say, well, we just didn't want to work for it hard enough. Here's what Christ said. He told us to go he told us to labor. Another part in the Gospels, and we may look at this, but there's another part in the Gospels where Jesus said that we're to go into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that his house will be filled. If we're laboring like we should have, God's house shouldn't be empty. You know why? Because there's plenty of sinners out there that they, they've been asking each other, and I'm, I'm done with this. They've been asking each other all week, I wish somebody would just start telling me the truth about something. They live in a world where everybody lies to them. They live in a world where everybody wants to deceive them. You don't believe me? Go ask somebody. You, you, you talk to somebody who spent parts of their life in the drug dens and tell me if you can trust anyone in there. Spend, so you, you talk to somebody that spent half of their life sitting on a bar stool and ask them if they wanted to walk in the bar with a whole bunch of cash. You know what somebody would do? They'd be passing drinks your way until you were too out of your mind to know what was going on, and they'd slip your wallet out of your pocket. You can't trust anybody in the lost world. 
people all around this world are saying, I wish somebody would just tell me the truth. I wish there was somebody I can trust. And God's called you and I to come up to them and say, you know what? You, I may, you may not be able to trust me and I may not be able to trust you, but there's someone that has never done you wrong, never will do you wrong, that you can trust with your never dying soul. You think that churches are empty today just because, and I know our excuse, well, preacher, we're in the last days, and this is the great falling away. I can show you from the Bible that that great falling away may not be the emptying out of our churches. That's the way we talk about it. We like to make excuses for ourselves. But really, I think it's a lack of desire on the parts of God's people to labor in His field. If you don't remember anything this preacher says, do not remember. The harvest is great. The laborers are few. The problem's not in the field. The problem's in the fold. Be anybody who join me on the altar tonight and say, God, help me to have the heart of a laborer. Help me to have a heart of someone willing to work hard for you. And I will say this, the days that we can labor are getting shorter and shorter by the moment. There's some, I've got a book, I've got a book, if it's not here on my shelf here in this office, it's on my bookshelf at home. It's called, some, it's called One Thing You Cannot Do in Heaven. You know one thing you cannot do in heaven? You cannot win anybody else with the gospel of Jesus. You cannot labor for God once you're there and affect somebody for Christ. You've already gone. It's up to us while we're here to make the difference that we're going to make for God. I didn't get to anything I wanted to preach tonight, but the Lord just on that little introductory thought to this certainty that stands, I feel like we've got enough to spend time around the altar and say, God help me to be part of those labors. Even if they are few, make me part of that number for your glory. Amen. Thank you for making us part of your day. We would love to hear from you. Please find us on Facebook or at our website, bbclexington.com. Oh, yeah.